Well, here we are. Um, pardon if the sound isn't exactly normal. I'm still getting used to it myself. Uh, turn in your Bibles to 2 Samuel 24, 23, excuse me. One of the things I had decided long ago, and I'm glad I did, is that we're just going to continue with this exact uh, series. We're not going to try to do anything fancy, uh, and this is the next sermon in the series. Um, and so we're looking at David's life. We're calling it the warrior poet. Uh, David is the warrior poet. What's, what makes him so amazing and so fascinating to read is you'll have a passage in the narratives where he's a warrior, he's acting like a king. And then you'll have a psalm that reveals what was going on deep in his soul during that narrative. He's, you, you get a full view of, of David. And in our passage, we really have both things coming together. He's, he, this is a, a great feat that's going to happen with the mighty men, but we're also going to see David's heart and his longing. And, and just to kind of set the stage of where he is, he's left the courts of Saul. He's in his wilderness years. Uh, but he's not yet, he's been anointed king, but he's not yet ascended to the throne. And it's, it's, a, it's really a time in his life that mirrors where we are as Christians. If you are a Christian, you have been adopted, right, by Christ. The Spirit, the first fruits of the Spirit have poured the, ble- poured the blessings of Christ on you. But yet you haven't received the full, we, we don't have the final glory. There's still brokenness, there's still sin, there's still problems, and we're longing for heaven and, and theologians call this the already and the not yet. And we find that in this passage. David is already, in a sense, the king, but not yet. And he's longing for that. Many of you are here this morning. I think we're all excited about the building. It's kind of new. We feel energy. But we're still coming in with problems. We're coming in with reminders of, of the cave we live in, right? Where, where we dwell. Some of you, it's, things are going okay. For others, there's extreme hardships you're facing. And I hope this discussion, you'll, you'll find hope in David and ultimately in Jesus, that there is hope that heaven can break in right now in your midst. So let's look at this passage together. We'll look at verses 13 to 17 in 2 Samuel 23. And three of the 30 chief men went down and came about harvest time to David at the cave of Adullam, when a band of Philistines was encamped in the valley of Raphaim. David was then in the stronghold, and the garrison of the Philistines was then at Bethlehem. And David said longingly, Oh, that someone would give me water to drink from the well of Bethlehem that is by the gate. Then the three mighty men broke through the camp of the Philistines and drew water out of the well of Bethlehem that was by the gate and carried it and carried and brought it to David. But he would not drink of it. He poured it out to the Lord and said, Far be it from me, O Lord, that I should do this, that I should, shall I drink the blood of the men who went at the risk of their lives? Therefore he would not drink it. These things are, these things the three mighty men did. Let us pray. Father, these stories, the stories of the heroics here in the Old Testament, remind us of the true heroicism of Jesus, that you have rescued us, that we are yours, that you have made us mighty. And I pray this morning with all of the things going on in, in our minds, in our lives, in the newness of this building and, and everything else, that you would quiet our souls, that your spirit would open the eyes of our heart to hear your gospel. Amen. <clears throat> when we moved to St. Louis for seminary in 2001, uh, like many of you who have gone to grad school, it marked this in-between phase of our life. We, 
we had left our home in Edmond. We had not yet reached, you know, Colorado where we would go. We were in this middle phase, and wanting to get there uh, so badly, we moved into a nice little apartment in Gulf Drive. That was about 800, I don't know, 1,000 square feet. But what made this apartment amazing is St. Louis has basements. We had this beautiful, clean, concrete basement. And every, in our student area, everyone had these basements, and then we would decorate them, you know. But you knew when you decorated these basements, whatever you did had to be temporary. You couldn't, like, put up drywall and, and wiring, although there was somebody who did put a square office in my basement, which was great, and they let it stay there. So we would hang sheets, and, and we got carpet from somebody else, and, you know, the walls that were, were wood studs, we put sheets over, and we built this basement or made this basement to resemble maybe what we would want when we got out of grad school, right? And it was really great. Grayson and Coleman were little, and uh, usually basements are dark and scary, but this was a living, fun, exciting place to go. And it just reminded me as I thought about this story that, that sometimes it's tempting to say, what's the use? We're going to move. We're only here for a few years. Just leave it gray, leave it dull. But for us, it made sense to like make it alive, use this space, make it exciting, to bring in some sense what we hope for in the future into this moment, this present. And that may be a really silly illustration, but it made sense to me. For what's going on in this passage, David is in a cave. He's in the stronghold, and he's okay. The Philistines, by the way, aren't at war with him at this moment. He's okay. But he's not where he wants to be. He's not where he's destined to be, and he's longing for the for the future, and he expresses it, and these mighty men provide it for him, right? They bring the water. And I just want us to think as Christians, are we caught up in our caves and just satisfied saying, this is the way the marriage is going to end up. This is the way it's going to be with my son or my daughter. This is the way it's going to be with my level of learning or whatever the area of life. This is just going to be it. Or are we bringing heaven in? Are we longing for heaven to break into the present life we live? Christ has made that possible. Jesus equips Christians to have heaven come close, to come in. That's what we're going to look at this morning from this passage. The three things we're going to notice are, the three requirements for this are longing, daring, and belonging. Okay, So we're going to, even though we're at a new building, I stuck with three points. Longing, number one. Um, David asked this question. Let me just tell you where we are. Some people think David's already the king. After all, he is fighting the Philistines. But most scholars would say this is probably before his kingship. And the Philistines, though they're there in Bethlehem, David is constantly interacting with the Philistines during this wilderness season, right? And they don't seem to be actually fighting each other. They just seem to be a barrier to where he would like to go to get water. Uh, and he's, by the way, he's not thirsty. And I'll, I'll talk more about that in a little bit. He he's just has more of a longing. So here he is. You know, Saul's out of the picture for the moment. Um, he has his band of men, and, and, and he's not yet the king. Um, and, and listen, the story appears in 2 Samuel at the end of his life. The narrator is telling us about the mighty men, these men that are, they do amazing things. And then he breaks into this story. It also appears almost word for word in Second in First Chronicles 11, right at the beginning of the Davidic story. And I just want you to imagine you've just, you're sitting at the game, the basketball game, Everyone's warming up. It's kind of fascinating to watch. Even the referees do their stretching. You're like, oh, I guess they need to 
stretch as well. And uh, the, the teammates are running around doing their shots, and they're laying on the court, getting their legs stretched out, which I always wondered why you wouldn't do that in the locker room, but that's okay. And then it goes dark, and the Megatron goes on, and the video starts playing, right? And now, and I'm going to use the thunder, because I don't happen to follow all the same teams. The thunder, you know, and they show Russell Westbrook, you know, slamming it over some seven-foot-tall dude, and everyone in the crowd just starts getting excited. And even the players are doing their warm-up kind of stuff, and they're getting kind of the juices flowing. That's the point of this passage. It's it's written, it's, it actually happened, it's a true story, but it's repeated twice to get the people of Israel to wake up, to, to have the oxygen enter their lungs. Stop being boring. Let's get excited. Let's, let's live. Let's break, heaven break through. So let's look at the story a little closer. David has to, he shows his longing. He reveals this, the fact that where he is, though he's safe, he's in the stronghold, uh, it's the cave of Agilim. He goes there often. There's clearly water somewhere nearby. There's plenty of resources. He's not needing those things. He just, he, he's expressing something else. Let me read the words. Look at verse 15. Oh, that someone would give me water to drink from the well of Bethlehem that is by the gate. And, and the narrator says, and he said this longingly. It's like a sigh. It's like this, this inner desire Almost, almost like nostalgia. Why? Because he, he's not where he wants to be, right? Do you all experience nostalgia? It reminds me a little bit of deja vu. It just comes on you. Yesterday, Coleman had deja vu. And I, and I actually had already thought that before he told me about his deja vu. But when you have deja vu, it's like, this is, like I'm feeling like I've been here. And it just, it just grips you. I think nostalgia is similar. It, you just start to have this emotion, like there's something... Deep. I, I've said this before. Uh, photographs give me nostalgia. You see a photograph that you were, let's say, present at. Maybe you took the photo. And it does something. It tells you, this is no longer your reality. This was fun. The kids were having a great time, or you were having a great time, or this is a great trip. But it's in the past. And yet, so at the very same moment, you feel like what was real then, but yet you feel the distance, and you feel this deep longing. Emily, on our computer, in our, and we have a, a computer in the room, used to have a photograph, like, screensaver. And I had to tell her I couldn't handle it, because I'd be just walking around and be like, <sighs> you know, you get kind of like, remember when they were that little? Am I a good dad? I think there's some nostalgia in that. I want, to hear, I want you to hear Lewis. We've talked about this before. He talks about the feeling, really, he doesn't like the word nostalgia, but he says it's a longing for the far country. He says, in speaking of this desire for our own far-off country, which we find in ourselves, I feel a certain shyness. I'm almost committing an indecency. I'm trying to rip open the inconsolable secret in each one of you. The secret that hurts so much that you take your revenge on it by calling it names like nostalgia or romanticism or adolescence. Think about it. It's like, oh, I would love, ah, that's just childhood romanticism. I'd love my marriage to feel like, ah, that's not realistic, right? We, we rename it. He goes on to say, Wordsworth's expedient was to identify this with certain moments of his past. But this is the cheat. If Wordsworth had gone back to those moments in the past, he would not have found the thing itself, but only the reminder of it 
what he remembered would turn out to be itself a remembering. So the photograph would be, if I could go, oh, I just want to go back, you would show up, and everybody would be busy, and no one would even notice you, and you wouldn't feel the emotions, and you would realize, I'm remembering something that didn't really happen at the time, because I'm longing for a future reality that I don't currently possess. And I think David is, string, is, is having that longing in our passage. I want to also remind you of his, uh, where he's from. Remember in chapter 16 of 1 Samuel, Samuel goes to anoint David. Do you know where he goes? He goes to Jesse, the Bethlehemite. David's from Bethlehem. That's his hometown. What did David do there? He kept the sheep. Where do sheep go every day when they're thirsty? A well. Usually the well outside the gate. Right? He's not going to track them into the town. So I have this feeling that David is longing for the care he gave those sheep. He's longing for someone to care for him. He's longing for things to be for him and for his people as they were for those tender sheep that he loved and he cherished. Do you feel that longing? That's, that's a question I would like to put forth. When you think about your life, are you even aware that there's something in you that longs to see your life flourish? Your marriage, your friendships, your habits. Maybe there's a sin pattern you, you feel like, it's just, that's just the way it's going to be. That's who I am. Jesus says, no, long for more. Long for healing. Long for flourishing. And, and I just want you to, to begin to think that way as we move further into the story, because the next thing I want to look at is the way these men um, came to David and that they were, they were daring. David didn't simply long for something and speak it, and then it disappeared, but there was somebody there who could hear it and make it happen, the mighty men. The mighty men show up, uh, it says in verse 13, at the time of harvest, these three men. Their names are Joseph, Eleazar, and Shammah. And they come to David, and they're at this cave, and David shares this longing. And they do what? They go, they get the water, and they return. They break through the garrison, the scripture tells us. Sometimes you look at the Bible and you say, don't you see there's a blockbuster here? Like, don't you realize you could write a 20-minute you know, scene like from Lord of the Rings or some bad movie where the fighting never ends? Imagine the men breaking through the garrison of the Philistines, and, and the Philistines are getting hurt, maybe dying. The ones that didn't die are wondering what's happening, where David's other men are bound to show up any minute. And then they notice that the three men have gone to this well, and somebody's like throwing water into this like bag or something. I don't know what they, like a something. What do you carry water? Maybe a, anyway, in the ancient, in the ancient world. And, and the two guys are like standing here, and you're like, and there they go with their water. And oh, there they come again, and you fight them a little longer, and then they leave with this bag of water. Right? But that's not what the Bible tells us. It just simply gives us oh, about a sentence. Right? These men were mighty. Why does the Bible not give us the details? Because it's not the point. The point isn't the battle. The point isn't the fighting, the killing, which, which um, undoubtedly took place. The point is, David longed, and they did. In fact, the Hebrew there, I don't normally try to talk too much about the original language, uh, partially because I don't understand it like I wish I did. But the Hebrew word order is different than English, 
it goes in the order of importance. In English, we go in the order of like they, uh, then the three mighty men, the subject verb broke through, right? In the, in the Hebrew, the very first word is simply broke through or cleaved. It's just right there, first word. There's a prefix right on the front of that word that means so or then. We have that in the ESV is the word then. David says this longing desire, they hear it, then broke through they, the three mighty men. Wouldn't it be, parents, wouldn't that be just amazing? Oh, that someone would do the dishes. So the husband, so the children, the dishes cleaned, you know. Uh, Wouldn't that be amazing? The Bible's making a point. They immediately respond. They immediately go do this. They immediately tackle this. And, And please understand, there's a difference here between obedience of a religious person and longing to serve the king of a follower of Christ. A religious person would go, well, I didn't really hear a command. In fact, he just kind of shared a longing. I have a longing too, David. I would love to have lemonade. You know, and you could just make a little scene and, and let it go. Or, or maybe one of the men says, hey, I, David said he wanted water from the well. Should we do this? I don't see that in the Bible, you know? I've read, the, I've read the Old Testament. Where it doesn't say we have to go kill people and get water. I think David was just daydreaming. But people that are religious are close to their Savior and hear that inner voice, that longing, and they obey. And I want to talk about how we can learn to do that from this passage. Uh, that's the goal. Right? Jesus teaches us to bring heaven, the water, into our lives. Right? How do we do that? <clears throat> Firstly, what is the first thing we see these mighty men do? Three th- principles of, of the mighty men. Number one, they came to David. Right? They weren't with him, apparently, for some reason. And in verse 13, they came to him. They came to him in the cave. They found him. They spent time with him. Um, in, in James, there's a promise that says, if you draw near to God, he will draw near to you. So one of the principles I think we can learn is simply this. You know, are we drawing near to God? Are we, are we in his presence? Um, and then the second one's very similar. It's the intimacy they have. When David shares his longing, <clears throat> they hadn't just arrived at the, at the cave. You know, he opens the door. that They don't probably have a door in the cave, right? And, uh, hey, guys, where have you, have you been? Great, David. Hey, you know what I really want? Water. No. This is like we've had a conversation uh, we've shared stories. Maybe we had a meal, several iterations of food, maybe a drink, smoking a pipe. I don't know. Now we're by the fire. And we've spent so much time with David. And, and we've talked about our, our war wounds, etc. And finally, David says something a little bit vulnerable. Maybe he doesn't even say it to them. He just lets it out. But they are leaning in so much that they hear it. <clears throat> Jack Miller used to say, one of my heroes, that he could tell how close someone's walk was with the Lord by the way they prayed. He wasn't trying to be judgmental. He was simply saying, when someone walks closely with God, their prayer life, when you're with them, you hear it in their words. I've noticed this myself when I've walked with brothers who've gone through extreme hardship, their language changes. They've been dealing with darkness 
They've been crying out to God. They've been going through the ringer, and they're different than me now. They've grown. Their language is different. They look different. They ask questions differently. When we recognize our brokenness and we go to the Father and we go to Him in intimate prayer, we are changed. So that's the two principles. They came to David, but they also were intimate. They had this closeness. And then the most obvious thing that we want to highlight is they obeyed. They went, okay? They, they actually followed through and went to, to uh, get the water from Bethlehem. And I just want you to know, um, they didn't think maybe that they would get back. I don't, I don't know that they had a promise that they could do this thing, but they were willing to sacrifice. And, and, and again, we're talking now about these principles for our Christian lives. Uh, it seems like one of the things that we're most afraid of is sacrifice in our culture. You know, Romans 12, 1 and 2, Therefore, my brothers, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. I think my first thought when I think about what I should do is, will there be any pain? How will that put me out? You know, if I can fit that into my schedule, if my account, bank account stays roughly the same, and, you know, I can still watch the show, at, you know, then maybe I'll consider. It's tempting to do that. And yet, when we're walking close with our Father through Christ, we begin to allow ourselves to be having sacrificial living. Um, another question Jack Miller used to ask is, have you ever stopped doing something or started sacrificially just because you love Jesus? Just because you love him. Not because you wanted someone to recognize it in you. Hey, guess what I've stopped doing now? Or what I've started doing. But simply because you believed you could express your love to the Lord. It's not a requirement it's not a law. No one else has to do it. No one even needs to know you're doing it or not doing it. But, but you've begun to love Jesus so much that you're, you would actually stop something that you like sacrificially. Or you would start doing something that's hard to do sacrificially. Those are the principles from the mighty men. And I've just lost the rest of the sermon, so we should just close it there. So we have longing, we have um, daring, but we have the method. How do we do this? I mean, I think everyone in the room would say, yeah, that sounds great. How? How? And the answer is in our passage and, and throughout the stories. Um, and I think the answer is through, I know it just it kind of works, the words are different, but belonging, okay, belonging. So if you're keeping an outline, longing, daring, belonging. Um, in 1 Samuel 22, which we studied a few weeks ago, or month, I don't know how long ago, David has escaped from Saul. He comes to this cave of Adullam, and 400 men and their families join him. These are the fighters. These are the beginnings of the mighty men. And do you remember the description? Verse 2 of chapter 22. And everyone who was in distress, and everyone who was in debt, and everyone who is bitter in soul. That's who came to David. Now, it's easy to go, ah, the losers. Right? I get it. I see where Ryan's going. Um, but what about the winners? The winners, the ones that had everything together. They're not, you know, why, you know, what's wrong with those people? Well, the problem is there are no winners. Saul was rejected as king. Everyone knew it, right? Um, even the Philistines in chapter 21 of 1 Samuel, David comes there and the Philistines say, this is the guy that they write songs about. 
Saul has killed his thousands, but David is ten thousands. Then they say to the king of, uh, of the Philistines at the time, Achish, uh, and by the way, he's anointed to be king. So, so in other words, if the Philistines could figure out that Saul's out, then you would think that everybody in Israel should have probably had a hint. We should go to David, right? But that's, that's kind of boring. It's a cave. He's, his, he's let his hair go, you know. He foamed at the mouth. Saul, at least with Saul, I have my life. I have my comfort. And who knows? Maybe Saul will end up winning. Who knows? Right? So the question is, have you heard and gone to David? That's the question of this passage. We watched Jumanji the other day with some of me and a few of the children. and um, It started out with more of my family. It ended up with like three of us. That's okay. It was the 1995 version. But Robin Williams. I had to start there. Doug teases me. I'm always in the 90s. 99, this is 95. Uh, I'll watch the new one soon. I don't know that Rock, The Rock. How could he top Robin Williams? You know, The Rock. I don't know. But anyway, this is the whole point of that. Jumanji, there's a game, and when you roll the dice, and it says something like, you know, the rhinoceros, or something, I don't know. That it really happens, and like your house becomes destroyed, and, and you have to finish the game to like get everything back to normal. And, uh, but what was interesting is in the movie, not everybody is really called to play the game. In fact, there's these children. Uh, their parents have died. They live with their aunt. And uh, they hear the, the African drum. I, I could have Matthew try it, but I'll just do it myself. You know, the dum 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 Does that sound right, an African drum? And only the kids hear it. In fact, there's a moment where the aunt, like, stops. Oh, maybe she hears it. And she goes, oh, I forgot my keys or something. And she runs off to show only these kids hear it in Robin Williams' character and maybe one or two others. There's this drumbeat to this, this game. And I think that's what you see with these mighty men. There, there's a drumbeat. They heard something. They knew to go to David. They knew they needed rescue. And that's the question I would ask you. Have you heard that drumbeat? Have you gone to Jesus for rescue? This sermon is not a sermon to convert unbelievers. But it's always important to ask that question. Have you heard that drumbeat? Is Jesus important? Is, is he needed? Or do we struggle with what, the, what a lot of the Corinthians struggled with? I, we've read this before uh, when we went through 1 Corinthians, but Paul says this. Um, he preaches the gospel, he says, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. To go to David would look foolish to someone who's got their life thriving under Saul. And what we would say to that person is, it's going to come to an end. And so the Christian similarly is someone who says, you know, this world may appear to be flourishing, but it's really perishing. But to us who are being saved, he continues, it is the power of God. So Jesus, the cross is the power of God. Now, let me try to back into our passage. There's a strange thing that happens in our passage, right? Where Saul, or excuse me, David, did you like his response? The men come back. They hand him the water. I don't know if he scoops a cup. I don't know how it happens. Maybe they only brought a little bit. And you would think he would drink it, you know? Imagine that, like, 
uh, that one toy every Christmas that you can't find for your children. And you found that one toy. It was the last one. You fended everybody off and bought the toy and you brought it to the children and they opened it up and they were like, and they break it. That's what it feels like David did. Like, pours it out. What are they, what's going on? How did that make these men feel? Well, I think, and most, most scholars agree, it was a rallying point. It was like, yeah, listen to what David said. Far be it from me, O Lord, that I should do this. Shall I drink the blood of the men who went at the risk of their lives? What is David saying? I'm not better than them. Right? And, and, and in fact, I'm supposed to be the one that provides for them. I'm the shepherd. I'm the one that should go and get the water to feed my sheep. Far be it from me to take advantage of their valiant effort for my benefit. You see, David is a picture of Christ. It is Jesus who hears you. It is Jesus who comes close to you. It is Jesus who hears your longing. In fact, he gives you your longing. Right In Galatians, we're told that his spirit comes in us and cries out in, in, in ways we don't even understand, Abba, Father. And what does Jesus do? He says, I am on it. I see that you are in need. I see that you are in distress. I see that this world is not working. I know that the fall has happened. I know that there's sin in your heart. And I'm going to get you the water. The water that will give you everlasting life. And he goes through the garrisons, but he's caught. He's captured. He's not coming back. Where is he? You hear the story. He's captured, and they've crucified him. There goes your hope. There goes your future. But then he comes walking in with the water. He's risen from the dead. He is rescued. He is whole. He is complete. And he tells you the story. And the mighty men story, as good as it is, it fades. Because now you have a new story. You're telling me they killed you? Like they ended your life? And you're here? Yeah. Yeah. You see, what happened was I rose from the dead. That is unbelievable. That is foolishness. That is foolishness to those who are perishing. But for those of us that hear that drumbeat, it gives us hope. We worship a king who went and rescued us and he came back to us and he gave us his life. And it grips you when you get a hold of it. Listen to the words of Paul in Philippians. Paul had everything this world had to offer. But he says, for the sake of Jesus, I have suffered the loss of all of that that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own. In other words, not having like everything looking perfect. Maybe I don't have my health. Maybe I don't have my diplomas that I wish I had. Maybe my job isn't where it should be, etc., etc., etc. But what I have is, faith, is a righteousness that comes through faith in Christ. And he, listen to this description, that I may know him and the power of, of his resurrection. Like, Paul's not thinking the cross means death. Paul's thinking Jesus is alive and he's risen. He's like, he's, he's ascended into heaven. He's, he's perfect. He can't die. Paul wants that connection. Don't you? If I had a pill after the service that I gave to you and you could take it and never die, like, isn't that amazing? That's what Paul sees in Jesus. And then he says this, and then share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Why would he say that? 
Because if you had that pill and you couldn't die and you couldn't feel shame and you couldn't be ridiculed, I think you would look different. I think your cave would begin to look a little differently. You would actually walk into a burning building. You would actually stay longer in that conversation because you didn't have some place to rush, place to rush off to to feel better about yourself. You would actually ask the hard questions because you're not trying to make that person like you, but you want to love them and care for them. You would do things differently if you knew you couldn't die. And that's the gospel. If you are in Christ, you have already died, and you've already risen in Jesus, and we long for his return, and we bring that water in to our daily lives by trusting, by faith in that righteousness. Right? And we make our caves more beautiful. So I just want to end by asking you these questions, just some thoughts. Where have you closed off the possibility of growth? Where have you closed off and said there's no hope? Is it your health? The health of a loved one? Is it a marriage? Again, is it your finances? Is it your career? Is it some sort of a, maybe you, you, you struggle with depression and you just, there's no way it's ever going to leave you. It's just never going to change. What is it? I would encourage you this morning to be daring. And here's what you do. You go to Jesus. That's the most daring thing you can do. Don't go out and try to change things. The mighty men were, were, were able to do it because the Spirit was upon them. You go to Jesus and admit, Lord, this thing needs healing. My heart needs change. I beg that you will come in and open my eyes and give me a longing for you. Will you do that this morning? If you're here and you're not a Christian, and here's what I mean. I'm not asking you to doubt your salvation. I'm saying to you, there are, just because of the size of the room, there are probably a few that just know I'm kind of not a Christian. And we're not here to shame you. We're not here to make you feel bad. We want you to come to our service. We want to know you. But the most daring thing you could do is ask, am I hearing that drum beat for the first time? Is it possible that Jesus is calling me to surrender my life, to stop running? I don't know what that'll look like for you, but it'll be the most beautiful thing you'll ever experience. Let's pray. Father, we praise you for these mighty men and for David and for the ways they point to the true hero, your son, who put a longing in our heart and then rescued us. Lord, we know that one day, someday, we will be with you face to face. We long for that day. But in the moment that we're in the cave, I pray that we would see the water of your spirit coming in, changing our lives, changing the lives of those around us, bringing peace and joy and contentment and healing for your glory. Amen.